0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: The kindness that you bestow upon us, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to anoint our efforts. For I know with your anointing we can accomplish more than we ever thought we could. Uh, touch us and anoint us, Lord God. We thank you for your goodness, Lord God. Strengthen us, God. Have your way. Open our minds, our hearts, Lord God. We thank you for what you're going to do. Touch our Sunday school teachers, God. Anoint our efforts, our outreach, Lord God. Every, each and everything that we put our hands to, Lord God, every bit of seed that we broadcast, I know it won't return void, Lord God, have your way this day, Father, we thank you, in the holy name of Jesus Christ, we praise you, thank you for what you're going to do, and we thank you this day, in Jesus' name, amen, you may be seated, thank you for standing, hallelujah, first of all, we welcome you here to the Lord's house, hallelujah, thank you for being here, Praise God, what I want to do um first, which I have been known to get up here and to speak a little bit and not even give you my title, so before I do that, I want to give you my title, and I just want to use the phrase "Be the miracle, be the miracle, so no matter what I'm talking about, <laughs> that's the point I want to drive home is be the miracle so but one thing I want to mention though, through the years. I've came here to Hatch Bend, listening to people, not necessarily people here, but listening on the radio, or maybe seeing a program, a minister or something. There's a phrase that I've heard through the years, and to my knowledge, I've been trying to remember, but to my knowledge, I've never commented on it through this desk, and as Brother Boyd has said, I don't want to challenge your theology, so to speak, or I don't want to make you angry in any way as I've said before I read I study I pray but in the end what I give you is what I feel in the Holy Ghost I'm not going to get up here and give you somebody else I've told you I cannot be somebody else I won't be somebody else I give you what I feel God has given me so what I'm fixing to not reveal but share with you is my heartfelt meaning or what I feel I hear people say this when we have a setback or we fail or our life is just takes a unforeseen move and somebody say that's okay God always has plan B now I don't know how no way to soften this but I'm telling you I don't believe that that appeals to our human nature and the last thing I want to do is bring God down to my level we have been taught through all of our life God knows the end from the beginning and if you believe that what I just went through that knocked me to my knees God is not scratching his head wondering what he's going to have to do he knows the end from the beginning I'm the one that made the mistake not God so I hear people saying this you know God's always got plan B no no no, don't let nobody tell you God has plan B. That's my, and if you say that, I'm not knocking you. I'm telling you this from the very beginning. This is me. I don't believe God has plan B. God has a will and a purpose for our life. He has set it in motion, and whatever we do does not change that. And one uh, one example I want to use is just this. You know, I want to go, I'm not going to say the name, but I want to go to the first book of the Bible, into that first book of the Bible, into the 12th chapter. God told a man by the name of Abraham, you take, you get up, and you leave. In essence, he does. He gets up, he leaves, he goes. He just says, get up, go, you go. We got to do this. God has told us to do this. He told him in the 12th chapter. He's 75 years old. God said, in you... I will make a great nation. In you, I'm going to make a great nation was a promise. Now, 11, I was. I, I, let me step back up, 10 years approximately down the road. I don't know why this happened. All I know is just Sarah is telling him, and I'm using their names before they're changed, but Abraham and Sarah. Sarah goes to him and just says, look, this is 10 years. you got to understand the culture that they was in. I don't know why Sarah went to him and just says, look, We've been here 10 years. I know God has promised in you that th- he's going to make of you a great nation. But we've been here 10 years, Abraham. And I haven't been able to pr- produce any children. So let's take, let's do it this way. But what Abraham didn't understand was this. And don't let, women don't never think you're not imported in the Bible The promise, the blood covenant, was with Abraham and with Sarah. It was not with Abraham and Hagar. So I look at her, it just, you got to look at the time. So I don't look at it as, as much as her trying to just go outside of the will of God. I look at her trying to please her husband. It's when Sarah goes to Abraham and says, look, let me try to help. Let me try to help. It's human nature. Let me try to help. But let me do this. So she takes, and here's Hagar. Let's, let her try to produce a child. The Bible tells us Abraham is 86 years old when Ishmael was born. I'm telling you, in the eyes of God, nothing was changed. Nothing was changed. You read it in the Bible. Nothing had changed. Here it is. You think God has said, in you, Abraham is going to be a great nation. Here he comes. He completely steps out of the will of God. He has a child with another woman than the blood covenant with. But in the eyes of God, nothing had changed. Only in the eyes of Abraham had something changed. When if the Pharisees had have been there they said, Oh, look what you had went and done. I'm not saying God has given us a license to sin. Absolutely not. We are the one that makes mistakes. God had set a course for His life, and no matter what Abraham did, he, there was be there was being a recourse to be paid. But God was not scratching His head trying to figure out what to do next. The course, the plan, had not been altered. Abraham had thought he had altered the plan, but he had not altered the plan. So he's taken; he's eighty six years old right now. But the promise, the promise, had not changed. So Abraham thinks, I've made a mess. I've made a mess of this. Look what's happened now. I've got a son born to me. It's Abraham and Hagar, and now Ishmael's thrown into the mix. What do I do? And God is saying, I hadn't changed my mind. I hadn't changed my mind, not one bit. And Abraham thinks, I feel miserably. I fell miserably. And the Pharisees say, look what you have done. You have frustrated God. Now he's got to go to plan B. If people tells you that, rebuke them and say, God has not changed his mind. I may have went wrong. I have sinned. I will get on my knees. I will confess it. I will ask God to forgive me. But he has a plan. He has a course. And he has not changed his mind. So God said, take. You're 86 years old. My my fulfillment has not been fulfilled. You take. You keep going. You walk in me. And you be thou perfect. So he had to do it, there was a plan so he takes, he's 99 years old that's when God appears to him and says you trust me Sarah you trust me walk in me and be thou perfect quit trying to fulfill this within yourself but the man was human we talk about how much things changed humanity does not change, circumstances change, convenience, items change, you know Abraham didn't see there a 747 fly across the sky. It's just the circumstances of life change. Humanity within it saying, the wise man tells us, look, it's, you think you've done it all? Forget it. It's gross. It's been done before. The wise man told us, every sin that you could imagine has been done before. Humanity within itself, it's just been done. Forget it. It's been done. He told us that within itself. So Abraham is saying, it's been 25 years that I have waited on this promise. I can't throw rocks at the man. What would I have been like trying to wait 25 years? But I'm telling you, God hadn't changed his mind not one bit. Abraham had a son now growing up that probably his eyes was able to look him level. Another son. But God said, my, 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 my vision hadn't changed, Abraham. my hadn't changed one bit. It hadn't changed one bit. So God tells him, The King James Version uses uh, the term tempt. But in our language, we look at the word tempt in an evil way. So really what it would mean to us, and I'm not trying to change God's word, but what God literally did to Abraham, we could insert the word prove. It comes time to prove Abraham, and that's in the 22nd chapter of the first book of the Bible. You can read that. So he takes, he tells Abraham, finally he has his son. Abraham, Sarah produces Isaac. So that is the blood covenant. So he tells him, he takes, he says, Take thy son, whom thou, he said, Take thy son, thy only son. Now, here again, if the Pharisees would have been standing there, they said, Wait a minute. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you got two sons. You got two. But here's Jehovah says, Take thy son, thine only son, and he names him. You take Isaac. What about Ishmael? My vision hadn't changed. You had Isaac. You had Ishmael. But the blood covenant was with Isaac. We are the ones muddy the pond. God hadn't changed. There is no plan B with God. I love you, Abraham. I love you, Sarah. And I love Isaac. My blood covenant was you, and I hadn't changed my mind. You take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and you take him to the mountain. Now, this has never been done before or since. And you offer him for a burnt offering. Now, this had to be unbelievable. How can you do this, God? How can you ask of me, a son, after all I went through? Is it because I went out of your will and, and produced Ishmael? Absolutely not. We don't serve a God that way. He says, you take and you offer. (laughs) I've waited 25 years. And God says, you go offer him for a burnt offering. (sighs) 25 years. And he takes the son that he's waited for so long. And he goes to the mountain. And he offers. He puts him up there. And I really believe this with everything that's in me. The proving of Abraham was just simply this to me. What is your faith in? Is your faith in me or is it in Isaac? I've told you. I hadn't changed. You will be a great nation. The son that you produced is going to be a great nation. You know human How it's going to be produced. It's going to come through Isaac. And I've told you to offer him as a burnt offering. Okay Abraham. What you going to do. Is your faith in me. Or is it in Isaac. You've got to make a decision. You have been called. Or God said I will call you. The father of the faithful. So now. Is your proving. If ever a man lived up to it. I can easily see why the Bible called him the father of the faithful. So he takes his son that he waited for, that he went out of the will of God, that he just failed so miserably, and he takes and put that son on the altar to offer him. And that for now I know, I've thought so much about that. As I've said, God knows the end from the beginning. So how can a God say, for now I know? And the only thing I can come up with is God gave us a free will. And that's why pastors just told us, and there again, there's no way to sugarcoat this, except in this. We know it as Monday morning quarterbacking. But you keep your mouth off of people. You don't know what you would do unless you're put in their circumstances. And sorry for being so blunt. But here is Abraham put in this situation. And I would say it like this. For now I know that you know. For now I know that you know, Abraham, what you would do. When I asked you to offer your son as a burnt offering, God said, for now I know that you know, Abraham, that you offer him. And we talk so much, and I believe if there was ever a prophetic utterance when he said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. And I've told you, he did. The ram, the Bible says, it's not by accident where the Bible says the ram, was caught in a thicket but it doesn't leave out how he was caught he was caught by his horns that means literally that Abraham just walked up to him what would harm him that was how he was caught so Abraham literally walked up to the sacrifice and literally just laid his hands on him literally it was done but my son God will provide himself a lamb and we know that prophetically it's Jesus Christ and one thing I want to add to this that I that I hadn't heard, but I'm telling you, this is this is me. That one thing that I don't believe Abraham ever knew, but looking at it when he told his son that God would provide himself a lamb, looking at it's just he jumped time to Jesus. And I believe that one thing we can add to this is that what Abraham never realized is God was saying at this time is what God truly desires is a living sacrifice he never desired a blood sacrifice a human blood sacrifice he proved it through Abraham take your son I never desired your son I wanted to prove you Abraham I wanted to prove you and I did in this test that I tested you with that which you waited so long for was it was it did you was your value in him or was it in me and your faith was in me, so you are the father of the faithful. You have done this. So that's why I say, that's why I say, excuse me, when somebody tells you that God has plan B, that's why I say, and forgive me if I've sounded so strong in it, that I do not believe that. I don't believe it when somebody tells me God has plan B. I may have failed, and I'm telling you, I have failed. I have went wrong, but I'm telling you, God hadn't changed his mind concerning me. God hadn't changed his mind concerning you. He has a plan, and it has not altered. We may have altered it. We may have got on another road, but I'm telling you, God hadn't changed his plan. And when somebody looks us in the eye and says, that's all right, there's another plan been altered. No, it has not. God hadn't altered his love, his affection, his mercy, his kindness, his endurance. Endurance, it has not been changed. And when I say God has got plan B for me, I'm trying to bring him down to my level to just help me, and I'm not going to do that. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what I'm going to do. He knows where I'm going and what I'm enduring and what I'm in right now. So I know he's going to see me through it. He knows my end from the beginning. There is no plan B. And I'm just telling you with everything that's in me, And I hate to sound so strong in it, but I feel so strong in this. Do not believe it. God has your best interest. And I believe, Abraham, I believe this story. If there ever was a story in the Bible that can prove this, it's now. We look at it like we just, I'm saying if we could put it on a graph, we could say I've messed this thing up so bad that God could never fix it. Don't you never believe that. Don't never believe that. Never believe that. Never believe that. The father of the faithful, the father of the faithful, he is. Be the miracle. Be the miracle. Now, I'm going to Matthew. Now I'm going to read scripture. Matthew 14. If you have your Bible, just read with me or follow along on the screen. Matthew 14. What this is right after, this is right after the beheading of John the Baptist. What he's doing, the Lord... Reveals his true humanity. John the Baptist Baptist is beheaded. The Lord, anybody in a human body that has just experienced or heard of something just this traumatic, as we would say, wants a little downtime. Wants a little time to process this. Here's another saying that's hard for me just to comprehend at times. And Brother Boyd said this just a few services ago. God is all human and all God. We say that and we go on, but that takes me a little time to process. But here is the humanity of our God. The Bible plainly tells us here that God, after the beheading of John the Baptist, you can read in this, God just needs a little time to himself. He goes out, he gets on a ship, he goes to a desert place. But what I don't know if God knew this, but there's is a large crowd following him now what God is doing he just needs some time alone you can read it God just needs some time alone he may be God but in his humanity he just needs some time alone he just needs time to process this so I want to pick up and I'll read 15 through 21 and when it was evening his disciples came now I jumped ahead of it. Let me tell you something right quick before I start reading. The multitude that followed Jesus, they came, they had sick. What had happened, this was earlier in the day. The Bible tells us in earlier verses that the Lord had started praying for the sick. And apparently he had did this all evening. The Lord praying for the sick. Now now we pick it up in the 15th verse. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that we may go into the village, excuse me, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. Verse 21, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now the Bible tells us that the Lord had compassion on the people. He started praying for them. He did. Now, the disciples, they may have been his disciples, but I'm telling you, they was just human as you are. It's getting evening. They're in a desert place. They just revert to their humanity. Look, we're in the desert. Send these jokers away. You've prayed for them all evening. We've done all we can do for them. Let them go home. We've done all we can do. It's getting late in the day. You know, it's fixing to be dark. It said it's 5,000 men. I've read they could easily be in 20,000, but I'll stick with what the Bible says. Let's just stay with 5,000. Send the 5,000 away. And the Lord just shocks them to death. They don't need not to part. Give them, ye give them to eat. Now, what I want to tell you, if God has ever, and listen to me please, if God has ever authorized something in your spirit, and you do not have the means or the product to fulfill that, then this truth is for you. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, this truth is for you. He looked at his disciples, and he says, number one, they need not depart. And number two, give ye them to eat he told his disciples they don't need to leave and they're human you know I don't know how and I don't want to use the word brash but I don't know how they was with the Lord if they just said you know have you looked around we're in the desert what do you mean they don't need to depart? What are we gonna do? And as far as us feeding them, we might be your disciples, but as the old saying goes, we didn't bring nothing to the party. We don't have nothing. The Bible tells this this truth is recorded in all the gospels. Uh, other gospels recorded as a little lad is who they got the five loaves and two fishes from. But the disciples, the one he was telling to feed the multitude, they didn't have nothing. So he's asking his disciples to feed someone, and they have literally nothing. So God is asking them to perform something that they don't have. So how would you react? Probably about like they did. I don't know about you, Lord, but I'm done with them. (laughs) I'm telling you, they, it's easy to become, easy to become overwhelmed. You know, we had never been put in this position. We know what life throws at us. We understand when people ask us to perform tasks or we're asked to work in the kingdom. But just try for a little while to put yourself in their position. Like I said, I won't, I won't exaggerate on figures. Just stay with 5,000. And the Lord looks at you and just says, they're in a desert place, and you're like, you're human. Unless we're going to feed them sand, I don't know what we're going to give them. We don't have nothing to give them. And you're telling us to feed them. We just don't have it. And it's so easy to become overwhelmed. And it's, I don't have it. I don't have the means. I don't have the product. And it just, and and you if you turn that inward, if they were to turn that inward right then and just says, you know, I have this feeling that God has called me. And I can't produce what he's called me to do. And you turn that inward. You're going to crush yourself to death. I'm telling you, you're going to crush yourself to death. But if they and they didn't, thank the Lord, they didn't walk away. But they're just, they're, they're human. And God says, what do you have? And I don't know how they found it. If they just go around, they say, did you bring anything? Did you? Did you? And they just, you know, God said, you know, God could have stopped them and just said, look, there was a little lad this morning before he left home. I anointed his precious mother. And I said, make him a lunch because you won't believe what I'm going to do with it today. And the mother brought him and said take this with you son. And the disciples says we, we, we got this. But there again they, they can't process it. And they're just like me. But what is this to them? We can't do it. We can't do it. We don't have the means and we don't have the product. But God has still commissioned them to do it can't do it I can't do it I can't do it so the Lord says okay bring me what you have so they take this and they gave it to the Lord and they said you know what it's not enough but we will take it anyway and we will give it to you so they're they're human just like us they give it to God, and the Lord takes it. And look at verse 19. They command the multitude. Apparently, there was some grass there. He takes the five loaves and two fishes, looking up into heaven. He blessed and break. He gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Now, first of all, This is the lesson that the disciples had to learn. First of all, if we won't allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. That's why I'm said if God has authorized you and gave in your spirit a commission, if you won't let it drive you to the point of frustration. Number 1, God will bless you. Because I'm telling you, we have Bible The disciples did not bring this. They did not physically have this. They only had access to it. So here is God asking them to do something that they didn't have. They didn't have it. They only had access to it. I don't even know how they found that out. But God says, give it to me. He blessed it. And then I think the true miracle of this is in the breaking and that's what we have to allow ourselves to do. We have to allow ourselves to be broken. But here's the thing we have to learn. That if we will allow ourselves to be broken, and it was only in the breaking that was the multiplying fulfilled. Because first it was blessed. Then in the breaking was the multitude fulfilled. Because the miracle, the miracle was when they said this, this, this. We'll never do it. We don't even have it. We didn't even bring it. We don't have nothing. And God said, bring me what you have access to. You might not have it. God may have just authorized something in your spirit, literally, listen to me, that you do not have, period. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. God hadn't changed his mind. Don't think because, well, I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. If God has authored it in you, then don't you lose hope. Because the disciples could have said, God, you've asked a lot, but look at us. Do you see any food? We have no food. None of us has no food to feed one, much less thousands They took what they had access to. They allowed God to bless it, to continually, continually break it. And in doing this was the multitude, you know, fed. So he takes and he did this. So he took. And in this was they filled. So the miracle, they was the miracle, literally was in the breaking. So we, We're just as human as they are. I don't know how I would have reacted. Probably like them. Probably like them. Okay, Lord. I'm done with the crowd. (laughs) Send them on. You know, you have fed them spiritually. You have prayed for the sick. You have healed them. I can't do nothing for them. I don't have nothing but because they didn't allow it to overwhelm them and literally it's easy to do we feel this calling but i don't have what it needs to fulfill the calling don't get frustrated you can still be the miracle god has called you to be i promise you now i want to turn i want to turn to a story that i truly love in saint john St. John, the 11th chapter, the story of Lazarus. The Bible tells us Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I love reading of them. I just love it with a passion. I love reading about these three. Uh, I spoke one time about Mary and Martha, and I titled it literally, keeping Mary's heart while living in Martha's world. And if there's anything I can relate to, it's that. For if you read of them, you know exactly what I mean. But in John, and I'm going to just skip, I know you're familiar with this, so I'm going to just skip and read certain verses. But this is the story of when the Lord raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus starts off in The the truth starts off in the 11th chapter, and I'll just read 1 through 4. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that he said this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So they're telling him the one that you love has got sick so come and heal him. Mary and Martha had faith in the Lord and they're telling him Lazarus is sick but what God is telling them very Important, but he's speaking as God would do. He's speaking in natural terms to make a spiritual point, and he says it in verse four. He said, "This sickness is not unto death." And they, they really didn't catch it. Lazarus does die, but the Lord tells them, "This sickness is not unto death." But they didn't really, they didn't really catch the full meaning of it. Now jump down with me to the eleventh verse these things saith he after that he said unto them our friend Lazarus sleepeth but I go that I may awake him out of sleep at this point Lazarus has died verse 12 then he said unto the disciples then said his disciples Lord if he sleepeth he doeth well howbeit Jesus spake of his death but they thought he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Verse 14. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now, verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know... That even now, and I want you to pay close attention to these words. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God. Now she's speaking to Jesus in the flesh. Whatever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Verse 24. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 25, and Jesus said unto her, now we quote this all the time. But do you realize what he is actually saying unto her? Now, I would have really thought that Mary, the Bible Mary and Martha is two completely different contrast. When it speaks of Martha, son, I'm telling you the pendulum's over here and it's just a ping pong. When it speaks of Mary, she's at the Lord's feet, she's listening to him, she's absorbing it all, they just like, like a cat trying to be tore off. I would have thought that it would be Martha would be the last one that this revelation would be revealed to. But soon as Martha, I can see this in her nature, she's sitting at the house, and soon as she catches wind, now the disciples told him, I didn't read it, but disciples told him, Lord, if you go back there, you could face death. And they even tell him, We are ready to die with you if you go back to Judea. So, but the Lord goes back, and Martha goes to him. And she's telling him, I know that whatever you asked of God, he will give you. But he's fixing to reveal something to Martha. Not Mary, but Martha. And he tells, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth, and believeth in me shall never die, believeth thou this. Now, 22 says, Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, Jesus standing there in the flesh. She could say, like, if you want to look at it like this, whatever you would ask of your father, he would give it to you. But he tells her, Jesus says, as he said to his disciples, I am the father. I am the resurrection. She said, I know my brother's going to be risen at the last day. But Jesus is telling her, you don't have to wait. The resurrection is standing in front of you. I am the authority. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one with the authority to give eternal life. And he's not saying Lazarus is not going to never die, or or in that case, Lazarus will be with us right now. He is saying, I am the one with the authority. I am the resurrection. He is telling Martha that he revealed to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So he's telling her, and he did truly love Lazarus. So in his waiting, the Bible says he waited two more days for this purpose. Lazarus was dead. He already was buried. So the Bible tells us in the, 31st, the 35th verse that Jesus wept. I know as kids in Sunday school, this is the verse we always wanted to memorize and get credit for. it it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But it tells us of the humanity of the Lord. This is truly, and this is not God showing partiality. This is revealing the human nature of God. This is revealing His humanity. The Bible tells us. See, so that's why when, when someone close to us or a family friend or, or someone that we love passes from this earth and we go and we go to God and we pray, we're not praying to a God that don't know what it's like. God knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to hurt and to feel pain. The Bible plainly tells us that He groaned in His spirit. And when you look that up and read that, that's just not a sigh. The Bible says literally, I'm talking it turned him inside out. It hurts a bad. So literally, take that to meaning. It God literally knows what it's like to literally painfully hurt. So the Bible says he wept. And then in the verse 44 is uh, a point I want to make. And this is where he tells Lazarus to come forth. And, and the dead came forth, speaking of Lazarus bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin, and Jesus said unto him, and this is my point, loose him and let him go. Now, I have said before, and if I believe this as strong as I believe there is no plan B. This is a call to the church. I believe this with everything that's in me. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, needed no help with his grave clothes. To Lazarus, he looked at those around him. He looked at the church and he said, loose him and let him go. I am not talking about spirits. I'm not talking about dealing with devils. I'm talking about problems of humanity. We have been given literally the the the, the call, the, the, the able. We have been given the ability to help humanity. The Bible tells us plainly we have been given the word of reconciliation. God said loose him and let him go. You know how easy would it have been to somebody standing there just throw a 20 down and say you know you hadn't ate 4 days you're probably a little hungry by now. That wouldn't have done him no good. He physically needed somebody to put a hand to him and give him a hand. As simple as it sounds God himself said loose him and let him go. It's, it's just easy. It's easy to do. it. That's why I said, it's just what, what can we do? We can be the miracle. We can be the miracle. Natalie Grant sings a song. I'm not endorsing her, but I wholly... Holy, endorse the song, the message of the song. She says, literally this, calling all hearts, calling all hands, calling all feet to take a stand. While others sit around and wait for a miracle, we go out and be one. We're not waiting around. God said, loose him and let him go. We have the ability. If they did not help Lazarus, Literally, he had a short amount of time. The Bible says his face was bound with a napkin. If they did not loose him, God had given him his life back, his spirit back, his spiritual life. If they did not loose him, then his physical life would have been lost literally right in front of their eyes. So all it took was some helping hands to take and loose him. And God just said, loose him. And let him go. I'm not talking about going and praying and fasting a week trying to drive devils out of people. I'm not being arrogant about this. All I'm saying is just doing little things here, little things there. Just being a help to someone. That's all it takes. Just being a miracle. Just be the miracle. You don't have to go out and just do some big gigantic thing. Just doing a little here, doing a little there. We have within ourselves, God has placed within us the ability to do that. It is not, it is not something hard. It is something that God has placed within us. He looked at them, and he just simply said that, loose him, loose him, and let him go. They had the ability, they did that, and then Lazarus was loosed. Now, what I want to end with, and this is one thing, I didn't think I could love this story any better, but I do. And I want to tell you, um, before I start, this on Be the Miracle, we hear of this Sunday school, we just grow up with David and Goliath. We hear this story, it's taught to us as children. But the Bible tells us, I'll tell you why I couldn't why I couldn't let this story go. I'll never let it go, but I'll I'll tell you why. In 1 Samuel 17, in the 50th verse, the last phrase of that verse, see on the screen, the last portion says, but there was no sword in the hand of David. What I'm fixing to share with you, that is the reason why this wouldn't wouldn't let me go. And it stayed with me for months and months. And I don't know why I never put this together. But finally after months, on this February the 14th, 2016, I think I can tell you, If you would turn back with me just a few pages in your Bible to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13 at the 19th verse is the reason. I'll give you the two main reasons. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears I couldn't believe it I never put that I never put that together now what actually happened if there was ever someone that hated Israel it was the Philistines now what that verse right there reveals now there was no smith what is telling us, we would call them blacksmiths in our day. There was no blacksmiths found through all the land of Israel. What the Philistines had done is they had come and taken the blacksmiths from Israel. And the Philistines said, you know what? We're not going to let them make any swords or any spears. This is the 13th chapter. So I had wondered... Why, in the battle of David and Goliath, this seemingly, you know, they're not sitting there to kids. When glass running his mouth, he's talking to warriors. But the, everything, I, I mean, I, I read this for months. Everything I could read. Everything I could get my hands on. And Everything I have found out, it says that the Philistines had come. They had taken their blacksmiths. They had took all of their talent. They had gathered their swords and spears. And the Bible tells us nobody had a sword in Israel but two people. That was Saul and Jonathan. The Bible confirms that. They are the only two. Now, in the 15th chapter, the 14th chapter Jonathan goes out, he has a sword, he done some exploits. The 15th chapter, that's when God commissions Saul to destroy the Amalekites. He doesn't complete the order. God rejects him as king. You turn over to the 16th chapter, that's when the prophet goes, Samuel goes to anoint David. And what I want to draw your attention to is when he goes, "What would you be like? Now, there again, I want you to think in this time, you've got to think in this culture, they was even scared, they was afraid to see Samuel come because they didn't know what was going to happen. The Bible told us they was afraid. the city was afraid because they didn't know what was going to happen when they seen Samuel coming. You know, are you are, are you coming peaceably? You know? But here's the prophet. He's coming to your house and you have eight sons. And the prophet tells you, God has called me to anoint one of your sons as king of Israel. What would you do? Like any good father. You would go get eight of your sons and you would bring them and say, which one has God chosen? Jesse takes and shows each one of his sons until he gets to seven. And then Samuel is left there scratching his head. He's just, something's wrong. God has chosen none of these. Do you have any? The prophet literally has he asked the father. Do you have any more children? Well, we got this one joker out there watching the sheep. Really? Really? But I believe the phrase that was music to God's ears was when Jesse told the prophet, We have one, and he is the keeper of the sheep. prophet said you know what we ain't conducted no more business till he gets here you go get him and soon as the prophet seen David God said arise anoint him for he is the next king of Israel that is the 16th chapter we roll over to the 17th and I'll try to hurry he rolls over the 17th chapter now is the battle and I'll just leave a lot of this out he takes Goliath is in the valley. Philistines is here, Israel's here, Goliath's running his mouth, he's challenging them. We know that. So he takes and what he's doing. David's telling them. He's not only defying God, he's defying us too. Look what he's doing. But what I want you to pay attention to, the brothers had just literally, the chapter before, but what I didn't read to you is the Bible tells us that David was anointed in the midst, right in the middle of his brethren or brothers. That is where the prophet anointed him. So it ain't like the brothers were somewhere else and he was anointed king, and they come in from the field and just say, oh, by the way, I'm anointed king. They was there. So, but what I want you to look at, look at 1728. Now, this is what I want you to notice. 1728. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard that when he spake, this is talking about David, and look at it, Eliab's anger, his anger was kindled against David. Now, I'm telling you, I don't know. I do not know what David had to go through. But here it is. What would you feel like when you find out the prophet, the precious prophet had came, your own father hadn't even included you? Now here it is at this time in this culture when the father wasn't there, who spoke? I mean, the the Bible is following the order of the times. The oldest brother spoke, and that's why the oldest brother it's recorded. So if the father wasn't there, the oldest brother. So the I look at it is the oldest brother is taking up where the father left off, and the Bible tells us his anger was kindled. What are you doing here? And you know I'll just leave a lot out. But he just why'd you come down here? Who'd you leave them few sheep with? He's just belittling them. And listen to what he tells him. I know your pride. And listen to this. The naughtiness of thy heart. Thou art come down here to see the battle. And that's when David says, I know that. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Except in our day and time, we would flip that. We would say, what have I done now? You know, I don't know what David went through. I don't know literally what he went through. His father don't even include him. The man tells him, I've come for the king of Israel. I mean, a precious coveted spot. And then here David goes out. This yucker's running in his mouth against the king of Israel, the God of Israel, and the army of Israel. And his oldest brother took the side of his dad, said, What are you doing here? I know your pride, the naughtiness of your heart. And then David's telling him, Look, there's a reason for what I'm doing. And his brother just said, look, I know the reason, and it's just you. It's your pride. And But verse 30, look at 30. Now, I don't know what point David had to get to to do this, but look what he done. And he turned from him toward another. That phrase right there says so much to me. Now, he's speaking to his family. I'm telling you, you can be the miracle if you have to go against all odds. I don't know what David had to endure or what he had to do and if your own family is against you. But the Bible says, and he turned from him toward another. David said, if you won't believe me, then I'll turn to somebody that will. You can be the miracle. David is our proof. You can be it. There is a God in Israel, and I believe, because what the Philistines put all of their hope, literally, they were, the Philistines were, literally, they was the first They were superior. They had superior. The Philistines, they had superior military technology, literally. I mean, there's no no way against this. They had superior technology against Israel. They was the first people in Canaan to process iron. So they go down. They take their blacksmiths. They come out. They send their warrior. I'm finishing. They send their warriors out. They send Goliath out. They said, okay, this is why I believe Israel didn't move. They didn't have no weapons. David's telling them. God don't save with a sword and a spear. They have put all their hope in weapons. They think because they took our blacksmiths and they took our swords and our spears that they're going to win the battle. And David had to turn from his own family and to endure whatever he had to go through to get to this point. But David's telling Israel and he's telling them that literally, I didn't give them this, but that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. But I'm telling you that day, Israel needed to be reminded that they were still a God in Israel, that they needed to hear. And David had to go through all of this to get Israel to realize that they have put all of their hope, they put all of their dreams and everything in a sword and spear. But God don't save with a sword and a spear. In our humanity, we think we need a sword. Spear in our hand, but God gave him the ability to defort what he had. And there's no way to sugarcoat this, but whatever that jerk will run his mouth for 80 times, 40 days, twice a day. And God gave David the ability to stand on top of him and cut that voice box off, literally to de- defeat the enemy. So he takes and he said. That's why, literally, I could not let it go because there was no sword in the hand of David. God it was his weapon. And David said, if you put your hope and faith, don't let the enemy define who you are. You are the children of God. God is our hope and our strength. And he is our refuge and our strength. And Israel was standing there and looking... They're telling us to fight. They all got weapons. We don't have no weapons. Now I have literally a whole new appreciation. I looked at it like, they, why won't they fight? They're looking at They're human. They're just flesh and blood. They're fixing to get a sword stuck through. But David's saying, no, you are the children of God. You can be the miracle. You can stand up and fight for the Lord God. He has given us. And I will end with this. I've told you years ago, but I want to tell you this again. I love it so good. Of, of, of the missionaries in the South Seas, of, the, of the, the, the two young, they was literally in their teens, missionaries that they sent down there. And they're literally crossing a large bo- a body of water to the other side. And it was literally a long way across. They take one of the natives with them. They get out. It was a small sailboat. They get out there. The wind literally quits. They're stranded. They can't move. They spend the night. They just wake up the next morning, and it's just literally, they're not moving. It's just a dead calm. So they're standing there, and they wonder what to do. They pray. They do everything they need to do. God sent us a wind. I mean, what are we doing? So they get up the next morning, and they're standing there. The the, the missionaries, they, they, they wake up. There's no wind, but the boat is moving. And the native teaches them a lesson. I will not sit here and watch the life drain out of us. Today, I will be the wind of the Lord. I will not go through another day. I will row if I don't do nothing else. And they was reached to the other side. He said, I refuse to sit here. I can do something. Today, I will be the wind of the Lord. I will not give in. I will not give up. God has given us the ability if he has called and commissioned you and we're just flesh and blood human and we don't have the means or the resources don't give in, don't give up you can be the miracle in someone else's life, you can be it you can be it hallelujah, let's stand, God bless you you can do it, I promise you God's word won't fail you can be it thank you Lord thank you